Father, help us through these words to see the light that is Jesus and to walk by it all our days. Amen. So we're in the the second of a a series, which is all about things that Jesus said. So the first half of the series is things that Jesus said about himself. And then later on in the summer, uh, you'll be thinking about things that Jesus said about us, his followers. Uh, So last week we had... Uh, the first of the seven I am sayings of Jesus, and today we've got the second. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, uh, the following video you're about to see, it's not a true story, uh, but it is quite a funny one. Again, this is the USS Montana requesting that you immediately Divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Please work your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. This is Captain Hancock. You will divert your course over. Negative, Captain. I'm not moving anything. Change your course. Over. So. This is the USS Montana, the second largest vessel in the North Atlantic fleet. You will change course 15 degrees north, but I will report to the managers to ensure the safety of this ship. Over. This is a light Uh, There are various versions of that story, uh, whether it's a Canadian lighthouse or a Spanish lighthouse or, in that case, an Irish lighthouse. Um, The story goes back at least to 1931. There's a version of it, uh, of of a a tramp steamer that is next to something in the fog. And for a while, the US Navy even had a page on its website debunking it as an urban legend. Um, Although... In 2008, I read uh, that Mike McConnell, who was the national director, the director of national intelligence, uh, opened a speech by saying that this is true. He said, I was in the signals intelligence business where you listen to the people talk and so on. This is true. It's an actual recording. Now, I don't doubt he heard an actual recording, but I also don't doubt the ability of his colleagues to make a prank recording of an old joke to see if anyone would fall for it. Anyway, the slightly tenuous link between that joke and our passage this morning is that a similar misunderstanding is going on between the overly pompous Pharisees and Jesus. They simply have no idea what he's on about. But worse, they don't want to know. Now in chapter 7, so just before this, John tells us that these things were taking place during the festival of the tabernacles. Uh, This was an annual event. It was prescribed by Moses in the law. And the whole point was to remind the people of Israel every year how they had lived in tents or tabernacles for 40 years in the wilderness. But more than that, it was to remind them how God himself had lived among them in the tabernacles, in the wilderness, in the tent of meeting. The people knew God's presence in that time through three particular things. First was the manna, which was new every morning, which fed them. 
Second was fresh water, which came out of a rock miraculously when Moses struck it with his staff. And thirdly was the pillar of cloud and fire, which was their light in the darkness of the night. So what, I hear you cry. Well, in chapter six, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from his heaven. In chapter seven, he says that anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And now in chapter eight, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, those three gifts in the desert of manna, water and light were more than God's way of keeping his people alive whilst they wandered in the desert. They were pointing forward to Jesus and to the light that he brings. Do you notice in these three verses, in Jesus we don't have bread, we have living bread. In Jesus we don't have water, we have living water. And in Jesus we don't have light, we have the light of life. Jesus was using the most important symbols of God's presence with his people in the wilderness and saying that he fulfilled them all. Not only that, he made them better. He made them better. The Exodus was the par excellence example of God providing for his people in the wilderness. And Jesus said, forget that, come to me. Is it any wonder the Pharisees got a bit shirty? Here is some bloke, some northern upstart from some backwater town of uncertain parentage claiming that he is the light of the world. He's not comparing himself to some candles, I don't know, like lit at the front of church. He's comparing himself to the sun. The sun, I suppose. Boom. The other day I was up all night worrying about what had happened to the sun, but then it dawned on me. What do you call a sunburned librarian? Well read. (laughs) Did you know that bread is like the sun? Yeah, it rises in the yeast. Sorry. I'm not sorry, really. The Pharisees get a bad press in the Gospels, don't they? Uh, Quite rightly. Uh, because they are rather like that apocryphal captain or admiral in the US Navy who simply uh, refuses to admit defeat. But every now and then, I confess I feel a little sympathetic towards them. I mean, they say in verse 13, they say to Jesus, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Well, they had a point, actually. In the law, uh, the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy, Uh, Chapter 19, testimony from at least two, but ideally three, witnesses was required. It says this, a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So they were quite right. Jesus needed something else to back him up from their point of view. But the thing is, this this isn't the first time they've had this conversation with Jesus. If you know John's Gospel well, you'll know that in chapter 5, they have a long conversation with him about this. And he says, actually, there are three other testimonies about him. 
First, John the Baptist, who came and testified about him being the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and they didn't believe him. Second, the signs and the miracles that Jesus was performing showed his power and his essential goodness. They didn't believe those either. Then there are the scriptures themselves which testify to the character and the action of God which were being fulfilled in Jesus. If they believed the scriptures, they would have recognised them in Jesus. But they didn't. They didn't believe those either. See, the problem wasn't a lack of evidence. The problem was an attitude of heart. In that passage in chapter 5, Jesus says to them, you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. And here he says to them in verse 14, you have no idea. And they didn't want to know. That was the real problem. As Ray said in his sermon last week, a number of scholars don't think that Jesus said the words that John puts on his lips. And that's correct, many scholars do. But actually, there is more evidence that Jesus said and did these things than pretty much anything else in the ancient world. From Caesar invading Britain to the Roman wars to anything about Nero and Caligula, we have more evidence written closer to the time with more manuscripts about Jesus than anything else at all. And more than that, we have evidence not from two, not even three witnesses about Jesus, but four different Gospels telling us their testimony about Jesus. Whether they were eyewitnesses or reporting things from eyewitnesses they knew, they are telling us things that they saw and heard Jesus say and do. So I suspect, actually, that scholars reject what Jesus says in the Bible, not because there isn't enough evidence, but because of what he says. Exactly like the Pharisees. You see, we like to be told we are loved and valued by God. We don't want to be told we are sinners in need of a saviour. But both are true. We like it when Jesus shows compassion. We don't like it when he challenges people's sin. But he does both. We like it when Jesus says, verse 15 in this passage, he says, I pass judgments on no one. Fab, we should never judge anyone. But actually in 5.22, Jesus says, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. How can they both be true? Is John an idiot? Does he not realise that 400 words earlier, he said on Jesus' own lips that he's the judge of all? And now Jesus says, I judge no one. I mean, is John stupid? Of course he's not. What he means, what Jesus meant was that in his earthly ministry, he hadn't come to judge, but to seek out and to save the lost like you and me. That is why Jesus came. To die on a cross so we would be forgiven and receive life. But one day we will have to give him an account of that life. One day we will meet our maker, as the phrase goes. And Jesus said in chapter 5, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death 
to life. This is a question literally of life and death. And it's not about our lack of evidence. It's about our attitude. Will we believe what Jesus said and therefore in the one who sent him and so believing have life in his name? Because that's why John wrote this gospel. In fact, that's why all the gospel writers wrote their gospel, because Jesus told them to. He said, you will go and be my witnesses. This is what they did. They wrote it down. They didn't write it down so people could write PhDs on it 2,000 years later. They wrote it down as letters to be read out in churches like this so people would know about Jesus. So they would know what he said, what he did and who he was and so believe in him. And by believing, have life. That's what all this is about. And that when Jesus says... I am the light of the world. It's pretty much the same as when he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. There is only one way to life and that way is Jesus. There is only one light and that light is Jesus. So when we try and light our way with other things, surprise, surprise, we find ourselves stumbling in the darkness. We find ourselves struggling to get through each day. We find ourselves feeling overwhelmed by the darkness, by the pain, by the luck, by the sadness. That's normal. Because we can't light our own way. Only Jesus can do that. Because only he is the light of the world. And that includes you. And includes me. Sometimes we might think his light is hard to see. But if we're honest, that's not because it's not shining. It's because our eyes are closed. So my prayer is that we might all learn to keep our eyes open. To see the light and to walk in it. Following Jesus together. Amen.